0: Head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps
1: us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch
0: today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. To you <laughs> Happy birth. I don't don't stop singing that. We don't have the copyright. <laughs>
0: that's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I'm so happy. It's a birthday. Clap clap clap. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just made that up right there. I, uh-huh. And I own the copyright. I copyrighted. <laughs> no no no. You gotta write it
1: down. It's Pete it's put it's it in Pete the mail, it. send it to yourself.
0: And then don't open it. <laughs> three years over three years I can't believe that I can't either wow we're doing this show I know it feels like it was just yesterday and we haven't we haven't finished all the movies no I thought when we started this that by three years we would we would have finished all the movies yeah that was the goal
1: three years and out it it turns out we'll get them all done (laughs) in three years
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah three years Raiders of the Lost Ark November 10th 2011 wow have you gone back to listen to that show lately? Not lately. Do you spend any time in our ca- in our deep uh, deep tracks catalog? <laughs>
1: deep tracks. It's like the deep you know what's funny? It's of our we, mind.
0: we had we had nothing. Like there was no music. I know. The show wasn't even called The Next
1: Reel. Oh, that was back in the day.
0: I think we've I think we have now outdone shows. Like we have more shows that are called The Next Reel than movies we like now.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we've crossed that yeah. line.
0: You see anything else good this week?
1: nope (laughs) (laughs) oh you know what i you know what i did see and it's, it's a little old it's been in theaters for a while but i was very excited because i finally went and saw nightcrawler now i will say as a marvel adaptation it's the craziest adaptation that they've done because i don't recall him ever being blue with the tail or ever bamfing and popping in and out <laughs> yeah. and so that really nice me for a while
0: that's a that's a nice gag <laughs> that's gonna really anger the marvel people
1: <laughs> no but i mean i loved it brilliant film very horrifying turn for uh for old donnie darko himself uh jake gyllenhaal uh who i would i would put money on him getting an oscar nod for it because he's uh just really frightening in his role and just yeah. brilliant as this character.
0: Has a real problem um, like not blinking.
1: Yes, and I feel, like, Crazy. I feel like sometimes I feel like somebody's squeezing him because sometimes it seems like his eyes actually are even getting bigger than they already are.
0: Yeah. He lost uh, lost some weight in this thing like really. I mean, he he
1: He took on a persona. Like it was it was He did. Yeah. It was a, an amazing transformation that he went through. And Renee Russo too. I mean, she was uh, great in her role and it was interesting watching her character uh, over the course of the film. I just thought it was a great uh story and a character study of these two characters in this world of uh you know this kind of a uh, violent TV news um, very solid film, uh, Dan Gilroy, you know, we, we love those Gilroys mm-hmm. and he, uh, he did a great job with it. So I'm very excited by that one and can't wait to, uh, uh, can't wait to see what happens with it come award season. He,
0: uh, you know, I, he was on, I think the treatment with uh, Elvis Mitchell and, and they were talking about how, you know, they shot the whole film of the whole film. They shot only like six days of it in daylight, right? Yeah. It felt that way. Yeah. Uh that, that and, and that you could tell, you know, particularly with Jake, um, that you know, he really he just he got pale. As he's losing weight, he's he's, you know, bikes to work every night uh and just loses color and talk about burying yourself in the part. This was this was one he really, like you said, took on that persona. It's very strong.
1: Yeah. But he didn't pull any of his own teeth out, so he didn't quite cross no. the Shia. Uh, he didn't Shia cross threshold. he didn't pull a
0: full Shaya.
1: I think it's a, oh. we should that we should add that to our glossary. The Shia threshold. <laughs> the
0: Shia threshold. That's nice. <laughs> I'm making a note. There you go. The Shia Shia threshold. Mm. We yeah. haven't touched that glossary in a long time. No, we haven't. We need to. Th- I I feel like there's something that you said
1: a while back that we were, we I, meant to add and then didn't.
0: Yeah. No, we didn't. Didn't
1: make it. We we got to be better about that. Right. We do. We're,
0: we're too good at adding words to the lexicon. I mean, really, if there's a strength of the show, it's making stuff up.
1: (laughs) We are really good at making stuff up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Andy, I think we should probably tell the people where we're
1: from. Yes, where are we from?
0: Hey, everybody, thanks for joining us. It's The Next Reel, and we spoil... Movies. My name is Pete Wright. That there is a shiny Andy Nelson. Super shiny. And uh, we are super thrilled that you are uh, here hanging out with us. Before we dig into the movie we're talking about to this very night, you should head over to thenextreal.com and you should learn a little bit more about us. Learn a little bit about the, uh, uh, I think, three and a half godzillion shows that we've done over the last three years. And uh, listen to every one of them and then come back and start this one because then you'll be caught up. Uh, you can join us in the uh, conversation online, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, 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 what's that other one? Google Plus. Mm, Sometimes everybody's we're, favorite. We're over there. Yeah, everybody's favorite. And then I'm gonna say, let's do trailers. You go first, Andy. I think this is uh, this is the honor goes to you, good sir.
1: I, yeah, mine. Mine. I'm gonna. I'll take that. I, and you know. Wait, I'll, I'll tell- yes,
0: it does go to me. <laughs>
1: You know, I will tell you a funny story about my trailer, though, Um, because I was like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll do that that Jennifer Lawrence movie that we haven't talked about yet. Serena or Serena and I saw the yeah. trailer like and I'm like oh this is it and I clicked it and it was Selma because that's what I thought it was and I watched it I'm like well where's Jennifer Lawrence in this one I don't see her and uh, where's Bradley Cooper hmm well and then I got to the end I realized oh this is a totally different film this is Selma <laughs> the story of Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, President Johnson and uh, the civil rights marches that uh, that uh, happen and kind of the big change and
0: Despite That's what the they fact, call it, the big change. The big change
1: I, yeah, I, you know, coined that one in the dictionary too. Jeez. <laughs> the,
0: um, I don't even, I'm going to write that down. I don't even know how we're going to begin to define that one. Right. The big change.
1: <laughs> the, um, and despite the fact that neither Jennifer nor Bradley are in it, it looks great. I'm very excited by this one because it, it's another uh, biopic. And uh, its it's a piece of history that uh oddly i you know i i was thinking about this i'm like there really haven't been that many films uh, about mlk and uh it looks like an interesting uh piece of his life dealing with this period when uh the whole kind of everything kind of comes down to what's going on in selma and david oyolo who we've uh chatted about a few times on the show i th- think it was most recently in gosh well, when, when, what was it when was it uh
0: Oh, no. All I, I remember we, is I was so proud that we learned how to pronounce his name.
1: That's right. Uh, no, we talked about him in the. Uh, I guess it wasn't that recent. Now that I think about it, it yeah. was way back in uh, World War Z. I believe we talked about him. <laughs> so yeah, not super recent. Uh, but we talked about him then, and he was also in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So a couple of our film board chats. Yes. That uh, or not? He wasn't. We didn't uh, talk Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I'm just all confused. I'm just excited. I don't know.
0: Is this the show you meant to be on? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what show am I on again?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm just excited about David Oyelowo. That's really what gets me excited. Because he's, he's one of those actors who's I've been seeing him pop up in things like he popped up in Jack Reacher. He popped up in Lincoln and he keeps popping up and he's always great in these little parts that he has but he's been very much a supporting character even interstellar which was a fairly recent uh, role for mm-hmm. him as a very small character and here he is uh coming you know full throttle as MLK and looking like he's going to do just a fantastic job and i'm i'm very excited by him portraying him i think he's going to do a great job and then there's tom wilkinson who portrays a better american than most americans i mean he really does a great job playing an american and yes. he, he's great as president and uh, and tim roth looks swar- swarthy can i say that about george wallace and well uh, <laughs> I, I did i'm not related <laughs> and uh, of course oprah winfrey <laughs> pops up in it because yeah. you know, she always pops up in these things but um Quite excited by about this one, and I hope it's something that ends up being a solid uh, biopic that uh, is is one that really tells the story and also moves people. So uh, yeah, that's that's my pick.
0: I like it. Um, when does it come out? Did you say
1: I didn't? It uh, it's going to have a limited release at Christmas, and then it will uh, spread wider in January.
0: All right. Well, uh, mine is, also has uh, foreigners playing Americans. Uh, it's called Against the Sun. Uh, a WW2 pilot, bombardier, and radio find themselves adrift in a lifeboat without food or water after being forced to ditch their plane during a scouting mission. I, this one sort of snuck up on me. Uh, it stars uh, Tom Felton, uh, Garrett Dillahunt, and Jake Abel, uh, in, uh, written uh, and directed by Brian Falk. I don't know much of Brian Falk's uh, work. Uh, as far as I know, I guess he did, um, he he was a producer on a number of things, but in terms of writing and directing, uh, he's been a lot big on TV, uh, Throwdown with Bobby Flay, the um, The A-Factor, mugshots, TV kind of series and documentaries. And so uh, he's making a move into features as a a director. It looks really interesting. It's one of these sort of lost-at-sea films. The plane crashes, three guys in a lifeboat, and they kind of go at each other. The notable face is Tom Felton, who uh, I'm certainly buried in right now as we're working our way with my next child through the Harry Potter films. He, of course, played Draco Malfoy. Uh, and uh, he plays a, a convincing World War II uh, pilot. Uh, so I, I look forward to this. Uh, it comes out January 23rd, 2015. What do you think? Does it look uh, look okay to you?
1: I think it looks great, and Garrett Dillhunt is one of those guys who I am always fascinated by. I just love seeing him, watching him on screen. There's something about him that yeah. I find very interesting and compelling uh, whether it's, uh, you know, he was in the uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, he was in The Road, uh, Winter's Bone, uh, you know, he always pops up in, in interesting projects and um, uh, I, I really enjoy seeing him and it looks good. And I have to say, Tom Felton, he's one of those actors who I really enjoyed as Draco and I was always afraid that uh, he was never going to break out of it. <laughs> <laughs> he was gonna yeah. he was gonna pull a christopher reeve and uh and and just get stuck as Draco yeah. for the rest of his life and um because even in uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, he seemed very um just Draco transported over to yeah. uh, a monkey pen, yeah you know? exactly
0: that n- maniacal bully exactly
1: yeah. this is the first time that I think I have seen him where he's actually doing something different. And yes. it makes me happy that he's uh, getting the chance to branch out and do something that looks really uh, interesting. And so I'm quite excited by this one. It looks good.
0: Yeah, me too. You know, you mentioned uh, Garrett Dillahunt. Did you, have you seen uh, the trailer for The Scribbler? Uh, no, I don't think so. He is in this. It is uh, The tagline is Unzip Your Head. It's, uh, it's really pretty bananas. Uh, it, it sort of reminds me of something like a cross between uh, – like Sucker Punch and uh, you know maybe Spider Man Two. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so yeah, watch the watch the trailer and and tell me you don't get that vibe. Um, it, it's crazy, but he's in it, and um, it's another one I'm looking forward to. It opens in uh, November six two thousand fourteen in Singapore. Uh, I don't know when the U S release is for that, but it's one I've kind of had on my on my guilty pleasure trailer list for a while and again it's that garrett dillhunt playing a really interesting character that that uh, right it's got such an interesting face for it so any any who uh back to this other thing we're talking about uh it it hits uh i already said 23rd january 2015 so nice. Uh, kick off the new year excellent
1: excellent right. well pete now i've got a question for you
0: dang it what
1: are you bona fide How's my little girl? He ain't our daddy. I am the only daddy you got. I am the damn paterfamilias. Now mama's got a new boat. bernie
0: here's got a job. bernie has got prospects. He's bonafide. What are you? You can't marry him. Why can't I I am and I will?
1: Is this gentleman bothering you? Well, you can't marry
0: my wife. (laughs) And stay out of the (laughs) Woolworths. to get back to his wife and kids ulysses everett mcgill will do anything
1: hey any boys Smitty. what he's about to get off
0: on the wrong track
1: who elected you leader of this outfit well pete i figured it should be the
0: one with the capacity for abstract thought boys just stick with me yeah, we're in a tight spot believe me i got a plan and i can get my wife
1: back and we can get out of here okay i'm with you fellas hi Introduce his feet?
0: I seen him first. Hey. Ah!
1: Them sirens loved him up and turned him into a horny toad. You two are just dumb a bag of hammers. Allow well, me in to introduce way myself. Way. Big Dan, two Hey,
0: what line of work Wait, you in, George? Come and get me, Captain ah! George, not the livestock. i got to get the family farm back before I can start thinking about that. Year 2000, Andy, it was a good year for the Coens. They came out with, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes, an homage. Did. Actually, I love that they gave Homer a writing credit on this film. <laughs> <laughs> for the epic poem, The Odyssey. Uh, it was also written by Ethan and Joel Cohen, um, and uh, stars uh, the fantastic George Clooney, John Turturro, and Tim Blake Nelson, along with many many other people that have shown up in lots of other Cohen Brothers films as well, which we will get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and new faces, and and new faces, new faces that also stick around. That's right. uh, I am I, you know, I, this is one I've been really really looking forward to, and I. I, it absolutely paid off for me. Uh, I love it. I love it that it has. It, it is one of the Cohen comedies. I think it fits well in the series, and yet it is so. To me, it is. Uh, it, it has enough different uh, in this film. Maybe it's the it's the Homer bent, uh, but but it has enough different going on that it has a lot more sort of emotional weight for me. And I'm I was very excited to watch this film. It it, it really held up. How would it do for you?
1: Oh brilliantly i mean this is uh, you know again one of my uh, i think i don't know if we intended to but the three comedies that we picked are my three favorite comedies of theirs and uh, I, I just love this one the uh the performances i think are top notch the the level of comedy that they get and the uh the the dialogue, the the way that they play the dialogue. I mean, the film takes place in the '30s. I don't know if they intentionally went at the dialogue to kind of have that fast-paced screwball comedy sort of vibe, because it's not really a screwball comedy. But you know, especially uh, George Clooney's character Homer, he has that that uh, just that whip that just kind of that uh, wicked. Uh, fast, zippy dialogue, the way that he delivers lines, and, and he carries himself like that, and uh, that element of the story, uh, the uh, the nice touches that connect this to the Odyssey, even though it's pretty uh, a far, uh, you know, <laughs> connection, but, I mean, there, there are a lot of nice nods to it all through it. I really enjoy that. The look of it, I think, is uh, fantastic. I'm sure we'll chat about that, and... Uh, just you know just the the uh the the comedy in it i think works really well and you know i got to say also the music i mean it is a really really catchy little film
0: it really is and that the the music ended up being a, a you know quite a character i it, that's actually a, an angle you know we talk about the Often, at least maybe this is my kind of thing about the, the things that are not people that become characters in the film. And this one has, I think, two that I, I want to talk about as we, as we go into this. And the first one is obviously the music. The music ended up not only being an incredible, um, you know, addition to the film, uh, but it ended up being in, incredibly popular in popular culture as well the soundtrack won the Grammy for album of the year in 2001 and you know here we are as a people listening to old-timey music uh, on you know on CD right uh in in droves uh, you know did you have the soundtrack is oh, yeah. one of the people
1: oh yeah you are my sunshine i mean it's <laughs> you know when when did you ever think after singing uh you are my sunshine for the last time in kindergarten yeah. or whatever it was probably that we had that in our uh, in our music class that you would uh, be sing- connecting to that song again or, or many of these songs
0: Right, right. That, that's exactly it. I mean, I think it's um, to to make a connection to. Uh, it's a funny connection to history uh, that this film offers. It's taking as taken as assumed that these guys are musicians, right? I mean, we get to explore them. Discovering their musicianship together, as if they've been singing together for years, this old-timey harmony music, uh, and and that's a ends up being a wonderful discovery. And then that discovery sort of goes away. It's not like a normal sort of hey, like the like you know this is this is not a movie about Elvis. It's not a movie about uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. This is uh, you know in in those other sort of musical movies. Once you hit that that origin story where you see them sing for the first time, it becomes a movie about their music. And yeah. this isn't, you know, this is a different kind of story. And so, um, you know, we get to explore so many other characters and their musicianship. Even all the while, at least for me, all I can think about is get me back to, uh, you know, get get me back to um, uh, constant sorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I love the fact that they sneak in these little little uh, these little sequences of of how popular that song is getting. Right, right. Uh, all the while they're going on this this epic journey
1: that's a very interesting little uh, connection in the film uh, because these guys only go and sing this because they you know the, the whole conceit is they hear that there's this uh, you know radio station operator who will uh, have you sing into a can and he'll pay you uh, 10 bucks or whatever it is per person um to to do it as long as you're good and so they're like, well, hell, we can do that. We can sing into a can. We need some money. <laughs> and you know, as these guys who have you know, escaped convicts and on the run from the law, they, uh, they see it as nothing more than an opportunity to uh, get. Uh, it's a means to an end. They need to get some money so that they can uh, you know, get transportation and find a way to get back to Homer's place so that he can uh, stop his wife from getting married. And it's it's just it's an interesting uh, you could almost call it a MacGuffin, except it ends up becoming a key character element for these guys that uh, they're completely clueless. as to, Like you said, that this song grows in popularity and it becomes a, a key um, element to the climactic uh, um, moments in the film. And it's I think is a brilliant way to use that.
0: It really is. It gives them that assumed confidence that we're okay with as an audience. It's not a surprise. It's not something that that seems sort of jarring from their character. When they march out on that stage, um, you know, the only thing that is shocking is that uh, they're doing it in order to connect with you know uh Everett's wife in the audience like it's not shocking that they're on stage together and once they start singing they uh, they take on their this performance uh mentality that is just uh, uh it ends up being just perfect it ends up being key uh, to their ability to uh, to kind of reconnect yeah yeah, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. And along the way, we get to meet uh, so many other uh, wonderful sort of musical uh, elements from uh, from the the you know down to the river to pray. Uh, you know the the uh, when the boys get saved uh, ends yep. up being an incredibly powerful uh, sequence. And and I just love they do this a couple of times uh, in the film. The way they use large numbers of people in motion. Uh, to build that sort of uh, that e- emotional momentum for us, yeah, right. The first time they do it is uh, is obviously down to the river to pray, and the second time, uh, I think an even even bigger one is the Ku Klux Klan rally, right? Uh, which is you know, Kinda, sort of funny, crazy, shocking, yeah, right. A little a haunting. That's the moment
1: my daughter always ends up coming into the room, and I, I feel like the movie is so much fun otherwise. To watch, mm-hmm. you know, all the songs and you know, kind of this journey these guys are on, and then of course it's the, you know, what are they doing to that guy? <laughs> and it's like yeah. it all of a sudden is a little creepy, and uh, yeah, and they're singing, and it's uh, you know, it's a little, uh, it's it's, but it's still it's a it's an interesting scene that integrates well with the music, and of yeah. course the yeah. the one that I also love is the uh, uh, didn't leave nobody but the baby. When the sirens are singing and uh, oh luring, yes, of course luring the three guys in with their siren song
0: of course it's wonderful and and I love the way that plays out, although I have to say I'm still not quite sure i I have a sense of what happens there
1: well they they basically take um uh, John Turturro's character and uh, they I don't know I don't know if they I don't quite know exactly what they do to Pete, but somehow they right. they catch him and they turn him into the authorities. But yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly sure how they <laughs> do they drug him, do they knock him over and, the head? And, but
0: what's your sense of the clothes? <laughs> like do, why? They, do you think they're really trying to plant plant his clothes and make the guys think that they turned him into a, a toad?
1: I don't know. It's it is one of the stranger moments of the film because it it uh, it obviously takes that turn for a while where you're thinking maybe they are sirens and they turned pete into a yeah. horny toad it is a very strange moment and then you find out what happened but it is kind of strange getting from a to b um it's like okay but what what exactly happened in the middle there and like you said well, why are, did they lay, lay his clothes out perfectly how did the toad get into his clothes in the first place did they put it there did it crawl in
0: how good know. is your uh how good's your odyssey
1: it's been a while but uh yeah it's been a while yeah. I guess I'll say.
0: It's been a it's been quite some time for me too. And so I I can't but the you know in terms of the Sirens that's that, that has become sort of a, an iconic sequence um or or I should say iconic characters um and uh, it, to me this scene is the one that is the most kind of on the nose um the fact that they are Sirens uh they are referred to i believe as sirens yeah yeah uh you know which is funny because they they are referred to as sirens and and then they really are sirens but they're referred to as sirens as if it's the cultural reference of sirens right uh, right like beware and then they're literally sirens exactly um which which i think is funny and then the you know so the the guys they they have an itch they go and they meet the sirens and they the sirens actually ply whiskey to them in jugs with xxx written on them <laughs> right <laughs> like, like how uh, loony number, is that <laughs> exactly the the number of of sort of visual warnings that that uh, shoot up in the air like fireworks uh, abound and and then like, i don't remember anything about th- them uh, you know, two of them waking up and the third one uh, missing, but his clothes in perfect, uh, you know, laid out perfectly in the form of a person, all dressed, like right. dressed clothes with suspenders on. I don't remember that from uh, from The Odyssey. I don't either. I don't either. But it is, it is like as you say, it's a strange sequence, uh, but, but it works. It does. It's a lot of fun. It works. Uh okay, so uh, we're we're spinning around a little bit. Where would you like to? Uh, who would you like to talk about specifically? you want to talk about uh the the gentleman each.
1: Yeah, I I mean this is George Clooney's first of three and soon to be four uh turns with the Cohens, and this is you know I was thinking about him and his career, and I I don't remember if he had uh, before this ever quite shown us the sense of humor that he really had, you know, I mean, his sense of humor really uh, just kind of goes wild in this film. And I, I mean, we knew that he could handle uh, the romantic comedies and the, you know, from dusk till dawns and, and the Batman stuff and the action stuff. And he handled all that pretty well, and I mean, he he had dabbled in some comedy with the South Park guys, as far as you know. He was the the gay dog, as far as I remember, right? Mm-hmm. You know, with his yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, or whatever he was doing. Right. But but this was really kind of that thing that all of a sudden let people know, hey, George Clooney can be a really <laughs> funny guy. And I mean, he went on from this to the the oceans films and a wide. Swath of uh, of comedy coming after this that uh, he starred in and directed, aside from all the other stuff that he was doing. But yeah, right. but uh, this to me was it was kind of a revelation for George Clooney because I I had kind of pigeonholed him into just those other specific things. But I just remember watching this going, wow, this is not a George Clooney that I had really seen before, and it was he was so alive and and just so uh, the character of Everett was I was calling him Homer earlier, but it's uh, it's Everett. Uh, yeah. is is it's
0: Ulysses Everett right uh, yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, the character is just such a strong uh, portrayal of a specific character that he ends up creating in this film and the Coen's do that really well with their uh, they find the right actor to get into the right role and then they just carry it so well and and he works just brilliantly in here, and I, I think that he connects with kind of that Cohen comedy style. And uh, I I'm thrilled that he had this opportunity, and uh, you know I uh, he's great in this role. I mean he's really good.
0: I, yeah, I think he is too. And it's it's even a little bit jarring because he looks so young in this in in this uh, you know in the film. Um, compared to, you know, where he is now, it it reminds me uh, very much of uh, of who he was, you know, sort of at the end of his run on ER or uh, you know when he guested on friends or you know you get a little bit more of that sort of the the lightness. And that was really his role on ER too when you think about it. I mean, he was he he had a serious role in that film, but he also uh, was that sar- sort of sarcastic um, kind of lightness in otherwise heavy uh, scenes. He was the character that sort of uh, allowed you to take it a little bit easy, right? 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 Yeah. I mean, did you get that feeling? I mean, that's sort of like he he played a kind of a, a linchpin role, um, you know, with other characters who took life very seriously, and so and and that was also part of his drama was when when he was no longer able to take things uh, to lighten things up again, and so that you know he definitely had his arc, but um, but but we we had a piece of that, and then you know he ends up doing stuff like Batman and Robin. Yeah, Uh, you know in in so many respects that he climbed out of that was really really lucky
1: yeah i mean he was one of those early uh, those tv actors where it's like it was it was a different time back in the uh in the 90s that separated the world of tv from the world of movies and um a lot of TV actors were still kind of pigeonholed as oh, it's a TV actor. You don't want to, right? You know, and, and uh, even some of his earlier ones like From Dust Till Dawn and One Fine Day, Batman and Robin. I mean, he was breaking out of that TV mold. But the the I mean, From Dust Till Dawn has its uh, cult following certainly, and and has uh, created all these different sequels. But you know the other ones. It was just like it was very. uh He was trying to get into the big, you know, the big stuff. But it felt a lot like oh, Batman and Robin. That's you know, you could equate that to Battleship or something. You know, it's, yeah, it's not yeah. anything that anyone uh, wrote home about. Yes, is the big summer blockbuster, but it wasn't good in any way, shape, or form.
0: So what was it for him? The twist, do you think, was it Three Kings that got him into you know roles like? um oh brother was it thin red line was it out of sight like what there was that transition in the late 90s for him that i think sort of allowed him to to do some things differently
1: well certainly i, I would say that meeting soderbergh and and getting in with soderbergh was a, a key element um mm-hmm. and i'm not quite sure how they first met but i mean out of sight i think it's just an incredibly strong film and from that to uh thin red line even though his part in that as i recall is a, like a one scene sort of part yeah yeah um Uh, But just the fact that he was in it, you know, that it was a a, a very big, um, you know, a film for lots of people. And the fact that he was one of those people, I think, you know, a lot of people uh, could connect to that. and. Mm-hmm. from there, I think, I mean, yeah, Three Kings, I think, is a, just an incredibly solid film. I mean, that's... It is. That's a great... And that's
0: another thing I'm thinking. Like, you talk about Soderbergh, you talk about David O. Russell, who... These are directors that have... Um, they carry with them some weight. No matter what you think of of the overall catalog of their work, uh, there is some sort of kitsch to these guys. Yeah. To this sort of class of director. And I think getting into these films, I think, made him uh it, it changed the perception of him.
1: The the interesting thing to me is um what I, I wish I knew what the Cohen saw in him. I mean it must have been kind of that early uh kind of the late eighties, early nineties sitcom and just TV world character. They must have been able to tap into something that told them, hey, this guy can play this character. Mm-hmm. Um, because these other films don't don't really hint that there's right. that comedy uh brilliance hiding under there. So I don't yeah. I don't know how they found that out, but boy did they uh, pick well.
0: They did. They did. This was a this was a great find. Um and uh he fits really well and in the trio, you know, not only as sort Ulysses, um you know, he he plays a good anchor around these two guys who are uh you know, I, I how do you say it? Not subversively dumb. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're co- they're kind of a
1: Cohen level uh yeah. intelligence that they often have in right. their film. People who are just, you know, they're just not the brightest bulb in the box.
0: But they definitely capture, I think, really nicely uh this little spit of Americana. Uh you know, if we're going to work off of what I I can only capture as stereotypes, uh they do it really well. Do you think Having somebody's
1: last name Hog Wallop is stereotyping, <laughs> maybe a
0: little. <laughs> that's you know that's the that's the beauty of satire. <laughs> that's right, Hog Wallop. Yeah. But what's so funny about it, right, is that as you start building up these little these little bits of humor, it becomes you know it, this this film really does is sort of subversively politically satirical. Um, you know when you it, it, the last half hour is pretty heavy. Uh, you know, they built a great case in the first hour and a half, and this last half hour, where we really get to see the politics of the film unfold, and we get to see the politics of this of this race. You know, the the race between these two uh, political characters, and the weight of um, you know the Ku Klux Klan membership and on one of the races as his race, his race disintegrates into a, a food fight, essentially. <laughs> you know, uh, that it is a surprise when you get to the end of this film as our trio is on stage and you watch the world sort of crumbling around them yet anchored to their music. Uh, it, it comes as a surprise that the film has so much to say in such a little time yeah. when you, when you expect it's just a journey to get the, you know, to get the family back.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it, it works really well on all those counts.
0: Uh, Okay, so uh, you, you want to talk about the Toturo? Uh,
1: uh, yeah, John Totoro, returning yet again for another spin with the Coens. Uh, we talked about him last week. We've talked about him in uh, a few others, Barton Fink. And, uh, you know, this guy's got the goods. I mean, geez, looking at uh, uh, Jesus from The Big Lebowski <laughs> to playing Pete Hogwallop very, very big difference here. I, I guess he had some, uh, some false teeth that he used to play Pete and those teeth really helped him tap into the character that he needed to become. And I mean, he's, he is great in this. It's uh there is a, uh, uh, <laughs> there's this a, kind of like a level of anger in the character of Pete that always seems to kind of pop up. And I just love watching him. He's, and and then Tim Blake Nelson plays so well opposite him, as kind of the the moderator between the two, uh, between <laughs> between <laughs> Ulysses and and Pete. Uh, it, it just <laughs> works really well.
0: It really does when they when they're having their argument about who's going to lead the merry band. Uh, he says, "You know, I vote for me." Well, I vote for me, and uh, Tim says, <laughs> okay, well, "I'm with you guys, <laughs> I'm with you fellers." <laughs> you know, I, to your to your point about this sort of this uh, Pete's uh, kind of rage. Uh, there's a there's a wonderful sequence I think that really demonstrates that it's a it's an exchange between Pete and, and everett uh, you know when when we just discover that that everett has stolen um, you know something from Pete's cousin where you know the cousin who then sold them out um, in the in the early part of the, the sequence and so uh, Pete just discovers that uh you know Everett has, has come clean, says, Well, I stole this and we can sell it and get some money for some transportation and we can we can move forward. And uh Pete says he, he just seethes for just a few seconds as he realized what happened. Mm-hmm. And you don't quite know what is he so mad about. Like they got away. They got out of this burning barn. They were rescued by a kid that they sent off on the road <laughs> alone right. on stilts. Uh and and so everything's okay. Like they're they're fine. Uh and yet He's, he stands up and he says, you miserable little snake, you stole from my kin. Right. And Everett says, "Who was fixing to betray us? Well, you didn't know that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I borrowed it until I did know. That don't make no sense. Pete, it's a fool that looks for logic in the chambers of the human heart. <laughs> I'd I love that exchange so much because it's such a twist. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a twist for Pete to, to feel both this sense of, of satisfaction that they got away as a trio and then rage ultimately that his family has been somehow betrayed. Um, even as his family was the betrayer, right? He plays that really, really well.
1: Yeah, he does. He's, he, he's great. And, uh, even just the the moment that I love is when, when he first hears the siren song as they're driving down the road, and his reaction as he just like shoves his fist into his mouth and like
0: bites his knuckles and just like and just <laughs> hollers. That is so true. That's it's one that uh, that's a surprise. That's a that's a nice shock when he starts screaming. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, Tim Blake Nelson.
1: Oh, and just as far as John Turturro, he hasn't done a film with the Cohens since this movie. I don't know that's why. Because.
0: That's because he uh, he did Transformers. Yeah, he's moved he on. Moved, he moved on. He's moved on to bigger and he's better things. Paid.
1: Transformers, Cars Two. You don't mess with the Zohan. Yeah,
0: no, it's that's unfortunate. Maybe he should <laughs> <laughs> he should call the Coens. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It's interesting because he is so versatile. The guy is so incredibly versatile. Yes, he is. Um, that's a that's a shame.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, All right, so Tim Blake Nelson. Tim is, Blake Nelson. I don't think I had ever seen or heard of Tim Blake Nelson until this film. I mean, he had been in things. Um, and apparently he was in Donnie Brasco and yeah. and The Thin Red Line. And I just completely missed him uh, until Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And it's because he's perfect as Delmar. This character is another perfect example of the Coens finding the right person to play the role and finding faces. I mean, he's got a great face. He fits perfectly in this this vibe of the the world that they're putting in front of us of the, the 30s Mississippi uh, with some escaped convicts. And I just, I buy into it perfectly. And Tim Blake Nelson really is, in a way, kind of the the soul of the film. I mean, he's kind of got this this uh this sense about him that always is kind of uh taking care of people and in a way also has kind of the lebowski's uh the dude's uh zen uh approach to things like you know okay i'm with you fellers like that's Mm -hmm. a perfect example of just like yeah I'll, i'll just roll with it i'm good and uh you know perfect find and i'm glad that they did find him and i'm glad that he's been able to uh, kind of, you know, get his career moving because I I always enjoy seeing him pop up, whether it's uh, little things or something bigger like uh, like uh, Lincoln or the Incredible Hulk.
0: Yeah, I, you know, he's one of those. Uh, suddenly, once you see him once, you see him in everything. Yeah. Uh, what a wonderful face! Uh, I like that you frame him as the the soul of the film, certainly of the trio. That he's he he becomes so much of an anchor um i'm i have been digging i can't figure it out but he is the one voice his is the one voice that seems to me like he may have actually done some backup singing he did
1: sing um i'm in the jailhouse now that was him he does sing that song and and when they won the grammy uh for best album he got a grammy for his performance in that so Okay, good. So yes, he is he is the one person. He doesn't sing in Constant Sorrow. That was completely lip synced um okay. by all three guys, but he does sing I'm in the jailhouse now.
0: Blind Blake. That was originally Blind Blake. Isn't that fancy? Who was Arthur Blind Blake mm-hmm. originally sang that song. Oh,
1: and now it's Tim And Blake. now
0: it's Tim Blake. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Fitting. Um Okay. Love Tim Blake Nelson. He's fantastic in this. Absolutely. Film. All right. Let's go. Let let let's let's dig into uh to the supporting. Yeah. Who's your who's your favorite? Is it Goodman? Uh, you he's know. It's Big Dan Teague.
1: I like Goodman as the Cyclops in this film. I don't know if I'd characterize him as my favorite uh because, you know, he's such a a wicked character. <laughs> <laughs> Uh you know I don't know. I also kind of like Daniel von Bargen as the sheriff as as kind of like the devil incarnate. Uh yeah. it's a very interesting evil character. Daniel von is always good at playing kind of the devil. You know, he did Truly. He did really well doing that in uh uh what was that movie? The um uh I'm blanking on it now. Um Lord oh, of Illusions? Lord of Illusions. Yes. Yeah. Here's, that was that was great. <laughs> He was pretty creepy in that one.
0: He's super
1: creepy. Yes, yes. He just, he plays good creepy characters. And he, or evil characters. And he is very evil in this. And and he works really well. I like him quite a bit. Um, And John Goodman is really evil in this one too. Man, evil and angry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, John Goodman is, oh, goodness. You know, he is, he's just one of those, his performance in this film, I think, is is really f- sort of fun because he he gets to have that that sort of the physical rage that we see for in uh, you know in in um, what's that last film we did uh, Big Lebowski Big Lebowski with right Walter. That physical Walter. rage yeah. as as Walter uh, but he does it with such a smile on his face like he he has it it's it's physical rage that is that is uh, you know paired with. Uh, emotional glee. Yeah. You know, he really is you can tell he gets su- such sort of perverse delight after what he uh, uh, what he gets to do to these guys. Um you know, I and and I you know, I think in particular that sequence is so fun because you you don't you it's clear that the boys don't see the turnabout coming even though uh, the cyclops is standing over them with a bat. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, especially, lining up. Especially
1: well, Everett who's really completely yeah. clueless about the whole thing.
0: <laughs> what are you doing, Big Dan? <laughs> Smack, yeah. and and uh, he's hit in the face, uh, and so that ends up being just a, a delightful sort of scene, and it sets you up for uh, you know the punchline to his journey, uh, you know when we discover later that he is a, a clan member and he ends up uh, um, he he is spared the rod. Uh, as he catches the spear of the uh, Confederate flag flying through the air, but he ends up being crushed by the Flaming Cross. Yes. It's, so that, that is a redemptive Flaming Cross, if I've ever seen one.
1: Definitely is. It's it's a very nice little uh, nod to... I mean, you know, the funny thing about the Coens and the Odyssey is that they've acknowledged that they had never read the Odyssey before writing this. They only had kind of the, the cultural... Uh, just the the all of the information about the odyssey that just kind of permeates culture that's all they had in their head about the odyssey and uh in fact i think most people on the set acknowledged that none of them had actually read it except tim blake nelson i believe was the one one person who said that he had actually read the Odyssey and and was familiar with the story. Everyone else, it was a very just cursory understanding of what the Odyssey was and kind of what the key (laughs) key elements were. And you can tell watching this is like they don't really um, tap into a lot of the more deeper elements of the Odyssey, but they kind of tap into all kind of just these cursory levels of it, you know, the sirens and the Cyclops. And he's got to get home to his wife who has another suitor there's all those elements that go along with it and you know we haven't even mentioned but there's also the whole um reference to the um uh, 1941 movie sullivan's travels which uh you know that's where the title of this film came from oh brother where art thou because in right. that film the uh the hero of the story uh wants to make this film called oh brother where art thou about the depression and the um uh, that also has kind of elements that are are all scattered through this but the, i think that speaks to the cohens and what they're looking for in stories is they don't necessarily need to do full adaptations i mean they do obviously and they do them really well in something like no country for old men um or when they're adapting another film like true grit but here it's it's you know they they have a lot of fun playing with the idea of what an adaptation is and they just tap into those elements and they do a great
0: job with it. I think they really do. I think that's fascinating that they never read the book. I know. i <laughs> read the Odyssey. That's wonderful. Yeah. And this was a busy okay. year.
1: This was a busy year for John Goodman because aside from this, he did What Planet Are You From? The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, Coyote Ugly. He was a voice in the TV series Pigs Next Door. He was a voice in The Emperor's New Groove and then he was in the TV series Normal Ohio. So...
0: And you'd think he'd just hang it up after that. <laughs> after that. After that stellar year? Why do you even show up for work? <laughs> well, he's definitely somebody
1: who has just never slowed down. And he just kind of keeps cranking stuff out, whether it's uh, garbage or whether it's something that uh, people are going to kind of go home and, and write about. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I appreciate about that about him. He's he's not one to shy away from just taking the work and doing stuff, whether it's a small bit part for something or if it's a bigger thing. And, and you know, he kind of comes back to the Coens. I don't think he's been back to them until uh, Inside Lewin Davis. I don't think there was another one, was there? Mm-hmm.
0: No, I don't think so. Yeah. He took a break. Yep. My f- uh, favorite character, I think, my favorite uh, supporting character in here is uh, is uh, Michael Battaluco. Ah, baby face Oops, I shouldn't say that I have so much fun watching this manic depressive character He's such he just he's just sort of moves into the into the film and then he moves out and then you just can't wait for him to move back into the film again. And it's just these little brief I think it's I think it's the it's the initial sort of bank robbery and then sequence and then at the end when we see him being marched to the electric chair, uh that that we get to experience George Babyface Nelson. But in that time, um, you know, we get a, a wonderful uh we we go on a wonderful sort of emotional journey with him as he is he's on a high, he's in a manic state as he's robbing banks and then the crash and he mm. throws all his money on the ground and wanders off into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> and I find that just enormously rewarding that they even included that arc for him. Yeah. Uh, in in this film.
1: Well, and I love uh, Delmar's reactions to all that. Oh, not the livestock, George. Yeah. And, and then later when, when Bataluko comes walking through town again, you know, Delmar's yeah. like, there he goes back on top. Just like he said, it would be.
0: <laughs> and I can't remember. Did you, it wasn't there a voice in the crowd saying, uh, you know, you, you shot a cow. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> it's like, it you know, and that was funny. You know, we, we, we looked up, I was trying to see, I couldn't remember, you know, some of the sequences of the film. I couldn't remember just how bad they were. I wanted to know if I could watch it with my daughter and, and ended up not. Yeah. Um, but the the write up said you know you don't see anybody there there's a lot of gun work a lot of shooting uh no human deaths by guns and one cow
1: one cow gets gunned down and then another gets and then gets thrown oh my
0: Ugh.
1: I had forgot about that and oh that's worse
0: than the than the gunning of I, the cow no that like is so much worse
1: Horrific. Man, they really plow into that thing
0: they plow the cow yeah Ugh. Anyway, so he was he was uh, easily one of my uh one of the highlights of the film for me in terms of these vignettes.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, I think that the rest are great. Holly Hunter, Charles Durning is great as Papio Daniel. Um, you know, the uh um uh what's his name? Stephen Root as the Well, I was
0: going to say I feel bad about Stephen Root because I should we should have mentioned him earlier. He is he's iconic.
1: Yeah, he's great in here. And another person who uh, pops up in a variety of the cohen's films and he's yeah he's great in this and he, I, it's one of those things where i don't know if i even recognized him the first few times i saw this film because he's so is uh his face is it's got such a strange way that he's
0: looking with his eyes you know yeah yeah the blind radio station man yeah uh yeah he's he's just fantastic yeah. um uh it, just a treat, anytime we see him show up, he's been in so much TV stuff lately. Yeah. Uh I feel like I have a lot to catch up on. <laughs> do you watch Justified?
1: You know, that's that a show that I really it's it's like perpetually in my head as oh that's going to be the next show that i start watching and i yeah. i just got to catch up with all these shows that i'm in the middle of and then once i do that's the one i keep meaning to do so hopefully one I of these know.
0: days that is too for me too i you know right now it's between that and sons of anarchy but but just noting that stephen root is Justified may may pop it up a notch there you go okay who else you want to go through, talk about the characters that are in this thing that uh, that we that end up uh, sticking around, actors.
1: Well, uh, just as far as Coens,
0: yeah, I think
1: we've touched on most of Did them. Did we touch
0: we? on all of them? I think so. I Stephen
1: Root, Root pops up in No Country for yeah, Old Men. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's other little ones. I mean, that's the one thing with the Coens is they're very much the sort of people who. Uh, really latch on to people and end up working with them. They collaborate uh, a lot with, I mean, Frances McDormand was in a lot of her films. She's not in this one. Steve Buscemi, uh, John Goodman, obviously John Turturro. um, uh, Michael badaluco has been in uh, at least three of their films. George Clooney also, Stephen Root. Um, But then, switching over to the other side, I mean, Roger Deakins, you know, he's just one of those guys. And same with, uh, uh, you know, just the, the production design, the... The editors, uh, the, I mean, Roderick James. as uh, if you don't know, is the Cohen brothers. They edit their own films. But, mm-hmm. uh, but um, uh, which Cohen is it? Ethan's wife, Trisha Cook.
0: Tricia. Is,
1: is an editor and she's been an editor on a lot of their films or an assistant editor, I think since uh, almost since the beginning. So she's pretty much always in there with them.
0: We got to talk about uh, Deacons uh, a little bit and. Just in general the production of the post-production of this film I mean this this is this is known as one of those sort of transformational productions because uh, the the Cohens went into it knowing that they wanted a certain look uh, and yet they were you know shooting in off season in you know places around the south that uh, you know had were not going to be uh, naturally offering the uh, sort of 1930s uh, kind of dusty old look. Yeah,
1: they really yeah. wanted that sepia tone look. And uh, yeah. they were filming in June, July in Mississippi, and it was uh, lush green. As Deacon said, oh, a little look like Ireland at that time of yeah, year. Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> and so, um, you know, they did a lot of shooting tests, and they did some ble- beach bly- <laughs> bleach bypass, and, and, you know, we've talked about this, uh, you know, some of these techniques in the past, and and um, they ended up going with full digital mastering uh, of this film. This is the first film that they did end-to-end digital mastering and coloring, uh,
1: you know. And when you say uh, they, you the mean, you mean the film community, not just the
0: color. Yes. Yes. Not the, that's why this film is, is of note. Yes. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to, I wonder if you talk, I mean, it, it, talk a little bit about what, what that means. Yeah. I mean, because mostly because I'm a crappy colorist, like <laughs> 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 I'm really not very good at it. You don't say in the lines very well. I don't. It's... My masks are just awful.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the challenge with film, films generally need to be color timed. That's always something that they have to do. I mean, you look at, you know, a scene like a car chase or something that is going to be filmed over days and days and days or potentially even weeks. And it's a lot of work, and you're in a lot of different places, and every single day you're out there. There's going to be different weather, there's different cloud patterns, uh, different times of day, and everything's going to slightly look different. And so you end up having to time, uh, do color timing on your shots to just try to find a look. And and basically, it used to be just kind of adjusting it as you were developing it and try to find the right. Uh, the right tone so that all of the stuff would end up looking the same. And uh, it was all kind of part of the, uh, the answer printing as you were doing that. Um, These guys came, you know, Roger Deakins, as you said, was trying to find a way to do this and, and came up with, it was talking to these guys who uh, at Kodak who did this uh, digital, um, it was kind of like digital answer printing. And uh, uh, I think it was a Cinesite um, they had mm-hmm. a, a data cinning machine, and they would scan every single frame of the film, basically. And then they would digitally alter it. And these machines were such that you could go into um, individual elements of it, and you could go, you know what, let's let's take all these green trees and let's give them kind of a reddish tint. Let's take all the green out and, and, and give it reddish, like uh, autumnal sort of look. Let's take all the grass and give it kind of a brownish look and let's take the sky and let's do this and they were able to kind of go through every every shot of the film and modify all the different elements within even to the point like in the in the sirens scene they have a slightly different look for the environment around them when they first come up upon the sirens and then once they wake up from having been uh you know taken by the sirens and Pete is gone it's a slightly different look. So they were actually even able to go in there and, and play around in the same environment, but just give it a different look because of what had just happened in context of the story. And, um, uh, they were able to really come up with a lot of unique ways to play around with the color all through, giving it this sepia tone, and the Coens, they had actually said they they saw one shot of the film, and they were horrified by how lush everything looked, and they they're like, this is not it at all. We don't want this. And they told Roger, don't show us any other frame of this film again until it's been uh, timed with this uh, digital process that you're, you're doing. And so they ended up seeing only the finished uh, picture of the film. And they, you know, between them and Deacons, who really helped pioneer this uh, this um, new technique, um it became a, uh, a huge thing. It was a big success for this film. And I remember just people talking about the look of O oh, Brother War though at the time it came out because it was such a unique look that they had found that they could adopt to the entire film from beginning to end. And it's, I mean, it has really taken off to the point where now this whole digital intermediate um is almost a a given on every single film that happens. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're all going to go through this process and it it's become so easy and second nature. Um, I mean, I, we did it on the Joe show. It's just one of those things that everybody does now because you want to be able to play with, um, play with the colors and do stuff with what, with your product.
0: You know, this is what I was mentioning at the beginning is this idea of this this other character in the film. And I think one of the things that's so interesting about this, once they discovered that they had the ability to do such interesting things with color, um, color becomes a character in the film. You know, and, and we see that because, as you said, you know, the siren scene is a great example, but there are a couple of others. You know, the opening sequence is great because it goes from this essentially this heavy charcoal kind of silver, black and white Uh, and it fades so slowly like a color wash into that sepia in the opening sequence from the, from the uh, rock crushing sequence to the escape. Uh, it gives you a sense of, of motion, sort of emotional motion. Uh, as the color changes at the end, as the girls are being led, you know, the girls are singing, the family is singing, and they cross the tracks, and it moves essentially from this, from this sepia to this wash of green as they, as they're standing on the tracks, and you see the, uh, the kind of one man rail car moving off into the distance, and the trees kind of emerge in this sort of a lush experience, and, and, uh, it, it really, it, it makes a different kind of connection when you see color change like this. And we've seen this in other films too. And I, you know, we've talked about, um, you know, we were not fans of, I think the, uh, what was the Oz one that we didn't like?
1: Uh, yeah, the, um, Uh, Oz the Great and Powerful.
0: Oz the Great and Powerful. But one of the most effective sequences in that film was when they made the transition from black and white to color. Uh, It was a little bit of a blunt instrument kind of transition, but it was still effective. And so I, you know, I really, uh, I really value that transformation. Yeah, I think it it works really well here. One of the interesting things that data cine at at Cinesite. You know, I I don't know. I just get excited about things like resolutions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what they ended up doing, scanning the film on that data center back in 2000, um, was at 2K. Right. Right. (laughs) Which is essentially, it's essentially kind of, uh, I don't know, what would you you call it? Standard HD today, right? I mean, it's roughly in the range of a number of different kind of variants from kind of 2048 by 1080, 1920 by 1080. It's kind of in that 2,000 horizontal pixels. And then we just were uh, made aware, at least for me, the first production that I know of that's actually using the RED 6K camera today. So in 14 years, we went from from 2K to 6144 by 3160. Amazing. Uh, Thanks to that camera. That is is, a stunning growth. Yeah, and
1: you know it doesn't do a whole lot for most of us, and until the day where like 4K televisions are, yeah. are are actually something that everybody's getting, or it eventually 6K televisions or whatever it's going to be, yeah. or or a high frame rate televisions that make us all want to rip but our eyeballs out from
0: our heads. What's so interesting about that is the new, you know, the new um, iMac, the new Retina iMac is a is a 5K display native 5k display so when you run it's it's actually um it's actually they do some kind of pixel compression on there first just standard display but as soon as you run a video in native 5k it will play every single pixel in 5k so even this will have to be scaled down a little bit right uh, but you're certainly playing you're editing native 4k video on that on on that screen and that's the the you know that that's transformational technology for for this field
1: it really is. I mean, it's it's a great step, and it's it's you know it's a good film to be that the 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 one that came right after was uh, Nick Park's Chicken Run, which I think is kind of a a funny follow up to uh, you know the the uh, the next yeah. feature that you that was color corrected entirely from beginning to end
0: digitally. Um, <laughs> it was Chicken Run? That's actually really funny because that was that wasn't a stop motion, right? Was that CT? It was no, that was stop motion. That was stop motion. Yeah,
1: so they filmed that. Oh,
0: they, I mean, yeah, they would have filmed that, yeah, right? Yeah. Fascinating. That was uh, Mel Gibson mm-hmm. as a chicken. Yes, good role for him.
1: Mel the chicken.
0: <laughs> mm. Okay, uh, who else do you want to talk about?
1: Uh, you know, I mean, I alluded to the fact that uh, there's so many other Cohen, uh, you know, people that they work with regularly. T Bone Burnett was back helping with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, uh, the production designer of this was Dennis Gassner, who I don't think was one of their regulars, but um, but definitely somebody who does great work. Road to Perdition, one of your favorites, Big Fish, Skyfall, uh, Truman Show. Um uh and he did work on the, on The Man Who Wasn't There, their follow-up to this, um, along with Lady Killers. So he did, did a couple of theirs. Oh, and actually he did the Hudsucker. Wow, look at this. Okay. I misspoke. He's worked on quite a bit. <laughs> Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Hudsucker Proxy, Oh Brother where are The Man Who Wasn't There, The Lady Killers. So he's been with them for quite a bit. And uh the production design, I think, is uh he does a great job of capturing this uh, world of thirties, Mississippi.
0: He does. He does a terrific job. Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, uh, Nancy Haig is back as set decorator. Uh, Mary Zoffries is the costume designer. And, uh, you know, I, they just, they, they build a great team always. And, uh, they create, these guys are really good at creating a world. You know, we've talked about that a bit on other shows. Um, and uh, that's something that we brought up with uh, with good old John Carpenter and, and uh, Escape from New York and, and kind of the struggle that uh, creating the world in that film, these guys really know how to uh, get the right faces and use the right tools to to fully capture the world that they are creating.
0: Yeah, you know, I that's one of the things that I think is really nice, even in the films that I don't connect with all that well, like... Uh, you know, I've already forgotten it. Big Lebowski, right? Yeah. Just talked about that film. Um, But there is one thing you can't say, uh, and that is that a Coen Brothers film isn't immersive. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, from the, from the, the conception of the film to the production of the film, to the design of the film, uh, you really are in it. Oh yeah. uh, For the duration. You really get the, that full experience. And I think that's, that ends up being fairly, um, that ends up being powerful
1: yeah and i don't i don't know i mean hearing people talk about the cohens they say that uh, these guys really don't argue on set i mean they essentially have figured out the whole film beforehand they they say they do all yeah. their arguing while they're writing and they get while they're figuring out the story once they've locked the story they know what they're doing and they're moving forward and and just ready to go and uh, i think a lot of it is just that these guys have such a good sense of the story that they're telling and know exactly what they want to be doing with it that, uh, plus there's two of them, they're really able to just kind of tap into um, the story working for itself, and they are able to really focus on all the other details that help shape the story.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting. The other thing is when you see them, when you see them, uh, well, I, I, not other thing, but I think supporting that, when you see them interviewed in any of the back to the, the behind the scenes sort of making of stuff, they really are, um, two halves of the same brain. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, it really feels like one voice when you hear these guys talk. And I think they, they, they've really captured that experience of, of, you know, working together, uh, as a means of, you know, becoming one voice in the writing process and not having to revisit some of these issues yep. of production on set. So uh, overall, a really, uh, w- really satisfying kind of uh, experience going to these three comedies. I think they, they work really well uh, together overall. And I'm so glad we finally did them. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, I feel like we earned it by talking about all the heavy stuff earlier.
1: Yeah, I think uh, this is a, a good uh Kind of a wrap up. I don't know if we're going to talk about the rest of the Cohen films, but you know, I think we've touched on a lot of great ones.
0: I do too. Uh, how did this one do?
1: Uh, this one did pretty well. Yeah, I'm going I'm to tell you one last little tidbit of information that's good to know. <laughs> okay, and then I'll tell you. This is the first film uh, that the Cohens uh, released under their new production company named Mike Zoss Productions. Mike Zoss is. Uh, this was just kind of an interesting story. Um the Zoss Drug Store is actually, you'll uh, you may remember seeing it in um No Country for Old Men. Zoss mm-hmm. Drugs. That's where he you know blows up the car out in front of the uh, where Shigur mm-hmm. blows up the car and stuff. Um as kids growing up in uh, Minnesota, I believe, they actually hung out in this uh this drug store, uh, Zoss Drugs. And Uh, Mike Zoss was the guy who owned it and around the time of this movie they um, they actually got in touch with Mike Zoss's son Barry Zoss and he contacted them and said um, uh, hey we want to name our new production company or or, our production company we want to rename it after your father because he um, was a, a figure in our childhood that was important i mean he um was just somebody that they that they really remember because he was always nice to people um there he was never he wouldn't kick them out of the store and he just he was you know very just friendly and they always remembered that and so they ended up naming their production company after this guy and um and then again contacted the son to say hey we want to put this uh the, the actual uh, pharmacy in No Country for Old Men. So, just a random little tidbit of information. I was always curious. I'm like, where does the Mike Zoss come from? And I was digging around for it and came up with that story. So,
0: that's too funny. Yeah.
1: Random, random nice find. thing.
0: Yeah. Nice yeah. find. So uh, okay, now, how did it do?
1: now, how did it do? Yes, this film I mean, it was a, a critical success uh, it, it came out in uh December two thousand it uh cost twenty six million dollars to make uh prints and advertising another fourteen million, so a total of forty million dollars going into this project uh domestically, it ended up making uh about forty five point five million and internationally a little over 30 million. So all told, you know, uh, close to $76 million. So it made its money back. It did well for itself and it ended up having an adjusted profit per finish minute of about $475,000 per finish minute.
0: Not bad. Not a bad take. Not too bad. Where does where does that put us in the uh, in the stack?
1: Um I you know, I don't know where it is with all the other ones. Let's see. It's below Fargo, which is at number 50 just scan through here and see what i can see on this one uh raising arizona is at number 68 this is at 74 and uh then let's see what's below that well looks like the big lebowski is uh down there under that one mm. and of course uh down near oh, the blood samples toward the bottom and then way yeah. at the bottom of course is uh is uh, everybody's favorite Hutzucker Proxy. Why do you have to be like that? No, I mean
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com, everybody. You know we love Flickchart. We really, really really do. You head over to Flickchart. It allows you to stack rank... All your films, and uh, and make sure that uh, you know you know when somebody asks you, what are your top 100 films? You will know. You'll be able to have gone through the exercise of ranking all of your films and to know what your top 100 is. You can do that with us. You can compare your stack with our stack. Head over to flickchartcom slash the next and um, and uh, you know stack them with us. See there where they know. rank. Let's see is it going to break the top 42? Oh brother, where art thou? Or Hot Fuzz? Oh nuts!
1: I know. It's a tough wall to crack. Because <laughs> I'm going to say Hot Fuzz. I'm sorry. All right, Hot Fuzz. So right. it,
0: it didn't. Cra- it already didn't crack the top forty-two. I
1: know. I know. Uh, oh brother, or Baron Munchausen.
0: Why do we even show up? <laughs> oh brother curse you flick chart yeah i would do (laughs) oh brother
1: over bernard munchausen oh brother or pale rider i would do oh brother i would
0: too oh
1: brother or when harry met sally
0: i would do oh brother
1: yeah i would too oh brother or the asphalt jungle i would do oh brother me too we didn't mention, but there's that wonderful uh, artist who did Oh, Bother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> uh, the Winnie the Pooh and, yeah, <laughs> and, and Tigger and uh, Piglet as the three comics. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Bother, Where Art Thou? Oh,
0: Bother, Where Art
1: Thou? Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Or Knowing?
0: Um, I'd like... I'm definitely going to say Oh, Brother. Oh, yeah. I can't believe I had to stop and think about that. I know.
1: I was surprised. I think you were just... Uh... Befuddled. I, but for for Ben, this one goes for Ben. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Or Carrie? Uh, still oh, Brother, oh, Where brother. Art Thou? Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Number 81 out of 100, 160. God, this, this one doesn't feel good. 160. 160. Hot Fuzz is number 80. That's, that's what's keeping us from crossing that line. But that means we have 80 fantastic films ahead of Oh, Brother.
0: Don't you try to make this just feel good.
1: (laughs) Hey, we talk about movies in general (laughs) that we like, so I think it's okay that it's at number 81.
0: All right, fine. At least it cracked 100.
1: Yes, it did crack 100.
0: That is now becoming a thing.
1: (laughs) Yes, now that we're at 160 films on here.
0: Yes, so it's a good thing. Yes, yes. All right, where do we go from here? Well, we are... Uh, Another great comedy series. <laughs> <laughs> yes, laugh a minute.
1: Laugh a minute. Uh, the comedy stylings of everyone's favorite comedian, Ellen Burstyn. Yes. Uh,
0: yeah. I look forward to this. What's are you? Do you want to? Are you going to release yeah, well, the uh, film? It's
1: all, it's all on Letterboxd. So people I know, can, but of uh, you know see how it. many
0: people go to Letterboxd?
1: Uh, I. I think every one of our listeners checks out Box at <laughs> least once a week. <laughs> um, we're going to do, you know, we, we tried picking a uh, a variety of, of her career. Uh, I think, oddly, we ended up with two of her films from the 70s, and uh, then one from 2000 actually came out the same year as this one. Um, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, uh, Scorsese's films where we're starting, and then we're going to hit The Exorcist and end on um, the... Wonderful, just in time for um, the
0: holidays, (laughs) Requiem for a Dream. (laughs) Crushing it with our scheduling, really. (laughs) Crushing it. It's it's, it's very touching. touching. Yes. It'll make you appreciate
1: the holidays that much more. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, Uh, Awesome.
0: Good stuff. Awesome. Well, hey, good talk, my man. I gotta go to bed.
1: Alright, well I'm gonna go play my banjo. Don't olay, ole, ole <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is um, One Star, Where Indeed by Richard Lee. Get it? Oh, brother, where art thou? Where indeed? I am a Coen Brothers fan who own all their available DVDs. I love bluegrass and country musics and even played it for 10 years. Thus, when I heard of this movie at the time, I couldn't have been more excited. Among my favorite directors and music, that's going to be great. wrong. Dead wrong. (laughs) This movie is everything the Cohen movies are not. Instead of the brothers' usual dark and witty corkiness, we are treated with jokes so juvenile it rivals such classics as Dumb and Dumber. Instead of their habitual, pinpoint, accurate, and fascinating depiction of a particular area, culture, social class, or population segment, we are immersed in some of the worst cliches about the South I have ever seen in recent times. Southerners are dirty, racist, retarded, and cultishly religious. Are we still really at that level of stupid bias? Instead of a solid yet with unexpected twist and turn scenario, we get a storyline that meanders around nothing and goes literally nowhere, and spare me the parallels with The Odyssey, which merely consists in having a guy with an eye patch and some deadly girls charming the protagonists. And what the heck were these guys thinking when they cast Clooney with one of the worst bogus southern accents that Hollywood ever had the balls to insult us with? The two positives about this movie to me was the stunning cinematography and art direction and the gut-wrenching music. The movie recently came up on late TV and I figured I'd give it another chance. I'm sorry to say that this remains my biggest cinematographic disappointment. Woof. That's 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 steep. That's harsh. Yeah. His biggest cinematographic disappointment. That's like that's big, that's serious. Yeah. Richard Lee from the USA.
0: Has he ever seen Rush? I wonder. <laughs>
1: we should we should direct him to that one.
0: Mine is a uh, mine is uh, three star. It's a fun. Hmm. It's it's a fun movie from AU twenty k. This is a good way to spend an afternoon with the kids. If I had kids, that's what I'd do. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well played, AU twenty k. Well played. <laughs>